Hey everyone, welcome back to the Missio podcast. We are in the third week of our three-week framing of this year-long series that we're in on the Holy Spirit. And these three weeks are digging deep into the Holy Spirit as presence, uh, as transformation, and as guide, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And these teachings have been pretty deep and thick, and today is honestly no different. Um, But these are really going to be helping us Um, as we continue this year-long study on the Spirit. It's going to help us a lot to really understand and dig deep into what it is that the Spirit is doing in us and around us. So to start, I have a question. How many of you, when you think of like the sound of the Holy Spirit's guiding voice, like if you could just imagine the sound of the Holy Spirit's guiding voice, how many of you hear a, a British woman? Okay, so so just hang with me for a moment. When when I was growing up, we didn't know, or, or if you if you didn't know how to get somewhere, you had to actually print directions off of MapQuest. Does anybody even remember MapQuest? It wasn't until a little bit later in my life that actual GPS devices started being used, and then eventually, with the integration of GPS into all of our phones, we all have these turn by turn directions in the palm of our hands. And it, it's interesting because the default for the the sound or the the voice of those turn by ter- turn directions at least as i understand it has nearly always been a woman's voice typically a british woman giving you those turn by turn directions and I don't know if this is true, but apparently this dates back to the world war eras when women were typically uh, radio operators. But apparently research has shown that people prefer a female voice to a male voice on things like electronics and your Alexa and your Google devices and those types of things, which I realize is a little bit of a tangent, but it did get me thinking that for a lot of people, we probably assume that the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding us means that we basically have this permanent GPS device in our heads telling us to turn here or to go there or to say this to that person or things like that, right? But I do think there's a difference between a GPS and a guide. While there is certainly this turn-by-turn aspect in some cases to the Spirit's guidance in our lives, more than simply directional leading, the guidance of the Spirit is actually about shaping us into something, It's about leading us and directing us towards being forged into something that is beyond ourselves. See, I actually think the main difference between a GPS and a real actual guide is that GPS isn't actually interested in helping you know how a city works, how roads and addresses work. The goal of GPS is just simply to get you from point A to point B. And most of the time you have no idea once you reach point B, how you actually got there. When I was doing uh, training with the Seattle Police Department, they were telling us that you can know which side of the street a house is on and then how far it is from the main intersection just by knowing the address. So like within those numbers that make up the address of your house, there are these built-in navigational pieces that help first responders get to your house more quickly and efficiently. You know, GPS doesn't train you to understand any of those things or the hundreds of other nuances of city development and planning that help you to navigate your city without GPS. Uh, Growing up, my dad, uh, for for 30 years growing up, he worked for uh, the TriMet company in Portland, which was the bus company, the city bus company down there in Portland. And so whenever, 
like me and my siblings needed directions somewhere, he would use the, the city block units to try and, and guide us. So we would be trying to get to a place like, say, Powell's Books downtown, and he would say, all right, go down Holgate and then turn at the 1700 block, which then turns into the 3200 block or something like that. And the whole time, you know, we were thinking, you know, is there like a, a pink elephant on a building somewhere that I can just put my car at and then just drive towards that. And then I'm going to end up at pal's books because it honestly didn't mean a ton to navigate by city block units. Uh, Chandler this week sent me a couple of articles uh, that talked about the, the physiological change that takes place in the brains of taxi drivers in the city of London after they go through this apparently deeply rigorous training to understand the crazy maze of streets that makes up London. It's almost like after they go through this training, every single taxi driver in the city of London becomes Sherlock Holmes, where he can just like log into his own brain and start navigating around the city in his head. But see, GPS honestly has no interest in your growth or your ability to navigate the ins and outs of a city on your own, it's actually built to kind of keep you dependent on it for directions. Like maybe this is just me, but it feels like the more people use GPS, the more we all have no idea where things are in our own city of which we live. But when a guide teaches you how to see a city, how to understand all these little directional pieces that are built into cities, then what happens is that you begin to embody those things and then navigating the city becomes second nature to you. You know, one of the really difficult parts of doing a series on the Holy Spirit is trying really hard to not fall into the very typical pattern of preaching and teaching that exists where we simply give you like a list of three things that will help you live more fully into the spirit. Like, like if we're trying to basically create a how-to video for the spirit. And I do realize that we often need these how-to videos of faith. But one of the problems with this is that when it comes to the spirit, there is often not a direct three-step process to knowing and discerning the spirit in us and around us. And, and different people are going to be led by the Spirit in very different ways. And it would be a bit dishonest of us to teach on the Spirit and then to say, look, now go home and anything that you hear in your head is the Spirit because it may not be the Spirit. It may in fact be that sugar craving that you have or your stomach is telling you that it's time uh, to eat. See, I, I think that we actually do a disservice when we whittle down the movement of the Spirit to a few anecdotes and then expect all of us to discern the spirit in those same exact ways. Because so much of the guidance of the spirit is not about these turn-by-turn -turn directions, but rather it's about forging within each of us the ability to notice and navigate life in God's kingdom and to grow within us the nature and character of Jesus along the way so that when those unforeseen turns and curves or just like straight-up roadblocks plant themselves in our way, we have the tools and the ability to know how to navigate our way through or around or over in order to keep moving forward. The guidance of the Spirit is really about shaping us more than it is about getting us to some like end result. And the truth is that the Spirit may lead us on different paths towards getting to that fullness in Jesus that we are after. And there's no one singular directional route to take. 
uh, Laura and I were talking about the spirit with Josh and Bethany this last week, and Josh was describing God as a mountain. And he was talking about how the mountain stays in the same place, but depending on where people are around the mountain, the perspective shifts and changes. And the journey to get to more of God will look different based on where people are. It's not this one-size-fits-all type thing. One of the most important aspects, I think, of life in the Spirit as guide is certainly in understanding what the Spirit is guiding us into, but then also understanding that the journey will be different for all of us because of the numerous different perspectives around the mountain of which we all sit in. Which to me means that the Spirit is less creating a straight line directly towards fullness with God and more the Spirit is shaping us into people who more fully embody the character or nature of God so that as life continues to move and shift all around us, our ability to keep navigating towards that full life in Jesus stays constant. So the question then is, what is that guidance of the Spirit? What is that guidance shaping us into? The first passage that I want us to look at today is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. Uh, this is a really important passage of Paul as he is discussing this idea of the Spirit as our guide. And it says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Uh, remember, so much of Paul's understanding of the Spirit uh, is in contrast to his understanding of the flesh. And we've been talking about the flesh for the past two weeks, uh, which Paul understands the flesh to be this decaying, kind of corruptible world in which we exist in contrast, though, to what the Spirit is creating, which is a world that is brimming with life in the presence of God, incorruptible to decay and wickedness. And so Paul starts this section by saying, in contrast, which he had just listed a ton of things that are, in his understanding, descriptive of the corruptible nature of life outside of the Spirit. And the important thing to know is that when Paul lists these things, like anytime Paul lists anything in all of his letters. He isn't trying to create an exhaustive list of that thing. I think this is what trips up a lot of people regarding the spirit specifically, but also just with lists in general in Paul's writings, because as we're going to look at later this year, Paul lists these gifts and then the fruits of the spirit. And he isn't trying to say, look, this is the definitive list and nothing outside this list exists in the spirit. I feel like we've often made the lists in Paul's writings take the place of the law of which Paul is trying to say that we have all been set free from. <laughs> in other words, we, we love to be contained and controlled by lists of do's and don'ts. But any list that Paul has in his letters are not meant to be the new law, meaning they aren't meant you know, to say, look, we've finally done away with all these old lists of rules in the old law. So now, look, here are all of these new lists of rules in the new law. These lists are what you're supposed to do now. No, see, these lists that Paul is writing, they're meant to just kind of get your mind thinking. 
they're not meant to hold you captive just simply to another list. And, and this is certainly true when Paul talks about the corruptible world of the flesh. He's like, he's not saying, look, here it is. This is the only thing that makes you corruptible. Here is the exhaustive list. He's saying, look, and the way that I see it right now, here is what I see. But he says, look, in contrast to that corruptible world, the spirit is creating an incorruptible world where the main identifiers of that world are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As if to say, when you see those things taking place in the world around you, those are little bits of the spirit of God breaking into the world in those spaces. He says, against these things, there is no law at all. Remember, the law wanted to establish life in God's presence, but was unable to do so. And really, what the law was hoping to create is actually this very list of what the Spirit does create, but the law couldn't do it. And then Paul says, look, if you're in Christ, then you've put to death that flesh side of things, and the Spirit is now alive in you, creating these fruit. And then Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, uh, some translations will say, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and then others will say, let us be guided by the Spirit. And then he says, let us not become conceited, competing against each other and envying each other. Now, this is, I think, really important. There is an aspect of life in the Spirit that that I think we sometimes fail to discuss, which is the way that we tend to often measure our own spiritual vitality and growth based on other people's experiences with the Spirit or their levels of spiritual fruitiness. You know, growing up and even into my college days, I hung out with a lot of uh, missionary kids, and uh, it doesn't matter what their names are, but um, I would hear stories of theirs all the time from where they grew up and their experiences with God and the Spirit. And there were moments where I would wonder what was wrong with me that I hadn't experienced God or the Spirit in the same way that they had. And then when I went to college, we we hung out with even more kids that grew up on the missionary field. And I just remember hearing their stories. And they were these incredible stories. But then also all of these people were like some of the most gentle and kind and, and, and loving and good people that I'd ever met. And I remember many moments of feeling like, man, these are some of the most spiritually mature people that I've ever known. What is wrong with me? <laughs> And it took a long time to realize that our experiences of God were just very, very different. When you grow up in different parts of the world, you see the the mountain, you see God from very different perspectives and angles and sides. And their stories of the Spirit and then their obvious shaping of the Spirit inside of them and then just them oozing these fruits of the Spirit in no way invalidated my own story. Because I too had a story with the Spirit. It just looked different than theirs. And not only is that and not only is that okay to have a different story, it's actually necessary in order for us all to be able to get glimpses of God from other perspectives that we otherwise would have no access to except for when people of faith come together to share those things in community. And I love how Paul is capturing both sides of this tension. He's saying, look, your story is so important to the community of faith in which you belong. However, don't become conceited about your story, but also don't fall into the trap of feeling like your story falls short because of somebody else's story. 
We're not in spiritual competition with one another. In fact, competition actually seeks to demolish and destroy. Now, I realize that there is what we call healthy competition in the world, but think about this. The opposite of competition, at least as I see it, is cooperation and collaboration. And actually, even further than those two things is that it is sacrificial in nature. You know, part of what the Spirit is shaping and guiding us into is two really important things. First, the Spirit guides individuals into community. We're going to look at this in a minute, but there is simply no way to bypass this work of the Spirit's guidance. But the second thing is that the Spirit is guiding us to live sacrificially for the good of the people in that community and beyond that community. And so I just want to look at those two things for just a few moments. You know, all over the New Testament is this running theme of this kind of one another language that is used to describe the Holy Spirit's guidance of individuals into community. And so I'm going to just kind of list off the things that the scriptures say about one another. And there are a bunch of passages that are attached to this. I'm not going to read those passages, but I just want you to hear this, right? So the New Testament talks about us being members of one another who are to build up one another, to care for one another, to love one another, to pursue one another's good, to bear with one another in love, to bear one another's burdens, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, to submit to one another, to consider one another better than ourselves, to be devoted to one another in love, to live in harmony with one another. The Spirit's guidance is deeply rooted in community, leading individuals to become parts of a new community that then becomes this beacon of God's kingdom in the world. You know, we've read Acts chapter 2 numerous times at Missio, but what is so neat to me is that Acts 2 starts with the Spirit coming at Pentecost. And so this is the arrival of God's promised presence in the spirit promised by Jesus. And then there's a ton of stuff that happens. The apostles start speaking in tongues. Peter preaches. People are cut to the heart. Thousands are being baptized. And the spirit's transformation is taking place among them. Then, as a result of their transformation, all these individuals start forming these little communities of faith as the spirit is guiding them into community. The entire story of Acts is all about these communities of faith being formed as a result of the presence and transformative work of the Spirit in people. And and then what you see is not just that they are a part of the community of faith together, but they are beginning to live sacrificially for the good of the people in that community and beyond that community. And so in Acts chapter 2 and 4, it describes these communities that are selling their stuff when people had needs. They're they're eating all the time together. They're spending time in each other's homes. They're studying scripture. They're praying together. They're worshiping together. They're solving problems together. It is genuinely impossible to talk about the guidance of the Spirit without talking also about the Spirit guiding us into sacrificial community. And this to me is really, it's a really important piece of the role of the Spirit because part of the discernment that we all desire regarding the Spirit's movement in us and around us comes as a direct result of being in a community of faith. You know, anytime that Laura and I have been trying to discern 
like some part of the Spirit's guidance in certain matters in our life, it's always been made much more clear by bringing that decision into community. And so here is one of the things, part of the Spirit's guidance of us as a community of faith is in helping us to begin to notice and see where God's Spirit is is trying to break through the brokenness all around us in order to establish his peace in those spaces. So all the way from the moment of creation in Genesis throughout time to the moment of Jesus' advent, his arrival on earth, and into our modern world, one of the underlying purposes of God in all things is the establishment of peace. To bring the reign of peace over all things. This is the idea of shalom that we discussed during Advent. So much of the Spirit's guidance in us, which is we are a community that is filled with the Spirit. So much of the guidance of the Spirit in our community is to get us to notice the places that are in greatest need of God's peace. To both notice those places and then He's leading us to step into those spaces to help establish that peace. I tend to believe that a community that is marked by the presence of the Spirit, that is filled with the Spirit, is one that is constantly at work to bring peace to the world. I mean, this is an undeniable aspect of the Spirit's guidance among us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul says that that peace, because of the Spirit, begins right here in this community of faith. And then he takes it one step further. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, he says, As far as it depends on you... Live at peace with all people. You know, Jesus said it all the time. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And his peace is something that people don't just simply arrive at accidentally. Rather, it is the intentional guidance of the Spirit in people of faith to be communities who work sacrificially to bring that peace in tangible and intangible ways to the world all around us. And Paul says... This is all a direct result of the Spirit's guidance into such things. Now, if I can just be honest and transparent for a moment. There is a lot of activity of the church in our world that leads towards anything but peace. You know, we mentioned this a lot when we talked about the non-combative kingdom last year. You can go back and look for that, that podcast But I was listening to another podcast recently, and they were talking about the way that in churches we are called to draw attention to the parts of ourselves that need changing, parts of ourselves that need to be transformed. And in recent decades, the American church in particular has shifted itself away from naming the evil that exists within ourselves to starting wars with people outside of faith and calling attention to all of their issues and all of their stuff. And the podcast host was saying that the role of the church is to name our own places of brokenness, to confess and draw attention to our wrongs and bad behavior. 
And see, one of the places of greatest frustration and pain that exists in my heart because of the church in America is the way that we have consistently brought heartache and pain, further suffering and abuse into the world rather than peace. Somewhere along the way, we, meaning churches in America, convinced ourselves that the Spirit was guiding us to create armories and barracks of soldiers ready to forge cultural war on behalf of God's kingdom and our positions of power, rather than outposts of God's peace, sacrificially gifting neighborhoods and communities with God's presence of love and goodness. And see, the Spirit guides communities of faith towards establishing peace on earth, to bring the goodness of God into people's lives. And it's hard to do that when we see ourselves as combatants rather than peacemakers. The Spirit of God, I think, guides us to be people who fully embody this Romans chapter 8 posture as communities. And so Romans chapter 8, Verses 18 through 28 is a passage that we actually looked at again during Advent when we discussed hope. And so I want to read this passage. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what one already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things, that in all things, God works for good with those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, Paul says both creation and humanity are suffering. They are longing. They are eagerly waiting to be set free from bondage to pain and abuse and evil and so many of the things that are opposite of God's beauty and goodness, opposite of his love and peace. And the thing that I want you to notice about this passage is the way that Paul is saying that the world is stuck. It's sitting in that decay, in the suffering, and yet there is a hope that it sees, that we see off in the distance, that it knows can and should be present right now, but it just simply isn't here yet. And Paul says it's in that place between the suffering and that hope of glory in the presence of God where the groaning of God's people takes place. Leonard Allen, in his book, Poured Out, says that in that place of groaning, there are three dimensions to the groaning. 
First, the groaning is a cry of pain and sorrow and disappointment at the way things are. We notice the pain and the suffering and we lament it. We confess it and we sit in the wordless groans of of its existence among God's creation. But second is that the groaning is a groaning of eager longing for God's new creation where we see the pain and the suffering and we go, yeah, but God can and will do something about it. And then the third dimension of the groaning is the groaning is an act of intercession for the coming of the future. You know, there there are countless places of pain and suffering in our world that we have very little power or ability to shift the overarching trajectory of what is happening. And yet, even in those places of inability, in our weakness to bring about the change that we long to see, there is still something that we have the power to do. We have the power to mourn. We have the power to lament. And in those spaces of wordless groans from the depths of our heart and soul, the Spirit sees and is moved to act on behalf of what causes us grief. Intercession is the act of intervening or mediating on behalf of someone else to collectively mourn and lament the places of our world that we cannot change on our own is the very invitation the Spirit looks for to act on our behalf and to plead with God for the things that we see. That act of intercession is bathed in lament for what currently is and hope for what can and will be because of the Spirit. And sometimes the Spirit guides us to collectively fall to our knees in prayer for what is broken and hurting in our world. And while to many people that may seem like inactivity, it is actually one of the greatest tools that we have to follow the Spirit into the suffering of the earth and its people to plead with God to bring peace to the world. The guidance of the Spirit is so much more than just simply turn-by-turn directional cues. It's more about the Spirit leading us towards being shaped into a community that is constantly moving both ourselves and others deeper into the peace of God. And see, the Spirit will continually guide us back into the presence of God so that God's presence can then keep shaping us, transforming us bit by bit into the image of Christ. It's very much cyclical in nature. It's not just a straight line where we get God's presence, we're fully transformed, and then we do the work of God, and then we're, you know, done. That's it. It is constantly about bringing us back into God's presence so that we can continually be shaped and changed into Jesus' image. See, and this, to me, is the power of the Spirit's guidance in our lives. You know, there's going to be three questions that we're going to be asking you all year. And these questions are not questions that are something that you should ask and then answer and figure out all in one day, but rather they're questions that are going to help kind of guide you all year. And so those questions are, what is the Spirit telling you? What are you going to do about it is the second one. And the third one is, how can we help you? As you begin to discern and see the Spirit's movement both in you and among you, there will be these things that you begin to notice pulling your heart to consider new or certain things, right? And we've talked about some of that last week, how some of what the Spirit may be telling you is to, you know, spend more time in worship, to dig into studying Scripture, to be more present with people and to hear their stories. It could be telling you to be more generous or more loving to the people who are sometimes difficult to love in our world. And so we want you to take this year to ask this question, what is the Spirit telling me? 
And then as you hear from the Spirit, the question becomes, what are you going to do about it? It could be a question about your job, about parenting, about so much, but what are you going to do about what it is that you're hearing from the Spirit? And then finally, how can we help? Remember, the Spirit always guides us into community, and he does so for several reasons. But one of those reasons is so that we can help one another live more fully into where the Spirit is leading us. The Spirit's guidance is not about you navigating life in the kingdom by yourself. It's about us walking with each other and helping one another grow in the character of God and to help bring peace on earth. This is the Spirit's guidance. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone.